0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's see here, I'm just going to see if my signal has some noise floor. Ah, no, it's clean. That's good. Uh, so I am recording.
2: Alright, here we go. <clears throat> Hello you, it's us again. This is Greg. This is John. And this is So Far, So Pod, So What, the transatlantic state-of-the-art speed metal podcast. Pitching riff.
1: You're coming in from a hotel room today. You're not at home.
2: Yes, I'm. Uh, I guess to tie it into the uh, the theme of the show, I'm calling in from the Killing Road.
1: The Killing Road and, and uh, Out to Play, right? Fatal Curse.
2: Yeah, Fatal Curse. Uh, it's our first. It's a, essentially it's our return gig. We haven't played since uh, I think the last gig was December 2019, playing in Rochester, New York tonight, playing with um, Freeways from Canada, um, another band called uh, White. White Magician from Michigan in the United States um, and another band uh, from the the area called Dead Rider. They're more of like a kind of a a thrashier kind of band. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it and uh, it's uh, it's cool to get back on the horse.
1: How's the roll-up been? Because I was thinking about, I'm, I'm rehearsing now with Infinite Maiden with Emil and the boys. fairly busy christian has been out playing hellfest and uh, sweden rock and uh, right. a few other of the you know the best festivals in europe he's mm-hmm. been playing with sorcerer and um, he still manages to squeeze in a rehearsal here and there eric is busy too but we rehearse generally three times before a show mm-hmm. and that makes uh, that's i'm not used to it but i actually like it because that makes me very much come in on my toes for every single rehearsal do my homework yes proper, mm-hmm. and, and you know don't just uh, we will figure it out that kind of thinking is is out the window it doesn't work especially since those guys are so good at playing so Mm. i wanted to ask you how's the rehearsal routine and experience been uh, leading up to this show especially considering it's the first in in ages
2: yeah well i think that i i'm although my my brain says i would love to because the rest of the band they live two and a half hours away from me so,
1: it's quite a quite a distance, even for a North American. Yeah, well, that's like, the thing. For, for, for a Swede, two and a half hours driving is like uh, c- comparable to ten hours driving for you. I figured yeah. that out with the boys with the boys in uh, and the podcast. Will rock. Yeah, two and a half hours for a Swede is like ten hours, and for a I don't know for a Brit even more because it's even less of right. distance over there. A moderately annoying distance, uh, I would call it.
2: Honestly, yeah. a lot of it is just on. Is, a lot of it is highway driving, so it's pretty. It's a pretty easy trip to make. But I would say that the big thing is obviously it's, you know two and a half hours of drive time is not a big deal. But you know I have five hours though. You gotta get home. It's too. basically yeah, and we because it's a distance, we generally try and make the rehearsal time count. So it's not like I am driving two and a half hours just to jam for an hour. You know when we jam, which by the way we hadn't jammed in two years prior to last weekend. Um. Yeah, we had almost two and a half years prior to last weekend. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's a time commitment, and you know, naturally, you know, I have, I have a family. You know, my kids are getting older; they have shit that they do and they're involved in, and weekends are a big time for that. So it's more of an investment of time than it is um, away from the family than it is just a a nuisance of of driving because the drive itself isn't terribly bad. I mean, yeah, it'd be easier if they lived, you know, more locally, but. If you think about it but
1: it, it's, it's five hours out of a it's, day yeah, it's f- it's really five hours out of the
2: day in drive time but then it's you know it's also but it's also like more of like a an eight, it's almost like more of a work shift because we're probably jamming for almost three hours too so
1: and of course you're, you know you can throw one pot of thunder and made an a to z and <laughs> the
2: drive the drive is okay you know yeah of course <laughs> that's good that's that's great promotion great promotion but yeah it's a, we're talking it, it's a two and a half hour drive each way but it's more of like a you know anywhere from eight to ten hour a day you know so it's yep but honestly i i've you know just because of the way things have been over the past few years you know we really haven't seen each other i mean we stayed in contact we talk and shit but you know the guys in the in the band um you know we we have chemistry and it was uh, it was apparent right off the bat you know we're all on the same page as far as you know what this band needs to be and our influences are pretty much in line and luckily you know i i you know i A lot of the rehearsing is kind of done, you know. by By my end is is kind of done at home. I, you know, I. Yeah,
1: that was what I was looking for. Like, uh, uh, and uh, of course, the most important part is is that does that account for the whole band? Well, no. Does everyone come in knowing their shit? No,
2: they. um, Well, I mean, well, they live in the same area, so they they've been practicing. You know, oh, yeah, but yeah. that works,
1: too, if if they have been practicing yeah. without you, yeah. then, yeah, that, that you know, makes up for... for oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, so, if, so we,
2: if we were all kind of, I will say, remotely uh, distanced from each other, maybe it wouldn't work so much, or maybe it wouldn't work so well. But personality-wise, it probably would, but I think that them, those guys holding down the fort, and at least being in a close enough proximity to where they can continue to jam, you know... Um, Does make it easier for me to just show up and just kind of be the missing piece, I guess. But you know, um, those guys are great. They they they're all fucking awesome at what they do, and you know, luckily they've made it pretty easy for me to just keep my shit tight and show up and just fit right back in. In my mind, I would prefer to be able to jam with those guys um, regularly, just from a compositional standpoint, and make it easier to write songs with them. But um, from a, a performance standpoint, I, I do enjoy the kind of – maybe the anxiousness and the excitement of, OK, well, we've jammed – we've practiced twice in two and a half years and we have a show. yeah and It's kind of like I feel, I feel confident that we're going to be great just because we're not, we're not kids. We're all old enough. We've been doing this long enough. We could put on a good show but like also it's like that little bit of mystery is like well okay well we were able to pull it together back together pretty quickly and almost too easily let's see let's see if we can carry that over to the stage but i'm I'm confident that we will and uh before we get rolling on uh the day's topic i'm going to uh turn this over to uh jonathan so he can kind of describe uh some of the other things you've seen happening in our in your feeds if you've been following us and some other non-megadeth related uh topics that might pop up for you too
1: right this basically stems from improvisation as most things i do but uh, yeah last time we recorded in uh, well night shift for me and uh, night shift for you too really it was late for you and uh, late even for me even though i'm a bit of a night crawler i was uh, i stayed up until four rather than waking up at four which is what you would do mm-hmm. and uh, you did you did today as well even though we started eight <laughs> <at> your time <laughs> because you got you got uh, you know you have small kids yeah i guess that's why you know you wake up in the early morning yeah i don't know if you used to do that when you were younger no if you were always <laughs> like that some some, you know, some guys yes are <laughs> but I guess it could be practical, you know. I, I'd love to be a like an early riser. That's something I would put on my like genie in a bottle right. type scenario, you know. Right. <laughs> but anyway, last time we we rambled for four hours. It was getting almost delirious, which was actually <laughs> pretty good, you know, because the the, the result, the 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 episode on "We'll Be Back" was really good, uh, both of them, because we recorded both those uh, in the same sitting. But then there was two hours of pretty much off-topic or. General metal topic nonsense, Yeah. and that's why that's why you guys have seen uh, the legend of Doc and Cop <laughs> appearing in your feeds, which was something I did sort of like, almost as a, you know, as a, as a gag, even internally because Greg didn't know, but um, <laughs> what Greg meant now, just now, is that uh, we will be doing that from time to time, releasing shorter episodes that may not, or may be about Megadeth,
2: but either way, whether they're about Megadeth or not, though. We feel they'll probably be relative to uh, uh, general listening in, um, uh, habits and, and interests. I don't think that any of the topics will be so far removed that um, you know we're not going to do. I don't know, hockey episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was actually a hockey segment of 20 minutes, but that one wasn't, you know. That's true. That was just, you know, that was pretty basic. It wasn't as fun as Doc and Cop. So I, yes. That's probably not, not going to crop up. Yes. But I mean,
2: essentially, I think these episodes, these mini shows, will probably be in some way, oh, maybe they will be hockey related, but they'll be somehow transferable or, or peripheral to uh, music of some sorts, you know, because obviously you guys are listening to this, you probably like your metal. And um, that works out great because we like our metal too, and we like a a lot of different kinds of metal. So, yeah, fuck it. If it's entertaining, it'll go out. Probably
3: wondering what's going on through my mind besides probably food or something like that while I'm soloing like that.
2: Kill the King and Dread and the Fugitive Mind, songs off the Capital Punishment compilation from the year 2000. Uh, we're going to touch on some of the uh, the things that led to these recordings and um, analyze from there. So, uh guess what we'll take off is uh before these two songs were recorded there was uh, a bit of a shake-up in the megadeth camp not all was well in um 19 late 1999 early 2000 obviously we'll get more in depth later on um with the risk album but naturally between uh risk and this capital punishment compilation there was a uh, there are some issues. Clearly, the Risk album did not achieve or perform anywhere near what the, the band had hoped for, and then really culminated in the end of what would, I think, Jonathan, you probably would agree with me, or, or most of you would agree with me, kind of culminated in the end of the golden era of the band. Um, Marty Friedman, I believe, tendered his reg- resignation in December of 99. Not very long after Risk came out, and his last gig was, I believe, uh, mid January 2000, which he was then replaced by Al Petrelli, um, formerly of Sabotage, Trans Siberian Orchestra, Alice Cooper, Widowmaker, tons of shit.
1: Is that um, American Italian brother?
2: It is. Sounds like it. It is very <laughs> much Italian American. The Petrelli, absolutely. Pasquale, and yeah.
1: Salmonella. El- <laughs> Petrelli. <laughs> 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 So, Salmonellas, uh, <laughs> fricadelli frenzy.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's a New York, Italian American, so he's got that, you know, New York accent too. So yeah, yeah. That's actually, that's so. m-
1: almost even more fun. But I can't do that one.
2: You can't do the, the, that's like the easiest no, one to do. No, it's, ha- it's harder. Try how,
1: it. How does it sound, sound? Okay, I'll try it, and then you and you you'll be the say New York, New York. <laughs> I'm from New York. That uh, sounds aggressive to me. You, you know, sounded like you
2: sounded more like an angry Swedish guy. <laughs>
1: Exactly, or a Russian, you know, <laughs> that's, that's why uh, my countryman, Peter Stormer, is always doing Slavic guys <laughs> in American shows. Because it's not that hard for us to do this kind of English, yeah. you know, it's kind of brutal. Uh, but uh, I can't do the, the, I can only do a, a real Italian, I can't do a Say the instead New York.
2: Say, say, say the New York like Y-A-W-K, like you're saying the word hawk, but you're replacing it with a Y, then try it.
1: Oh, that's a good tip, okay. Uh, New York. New York. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but that's one. That's, that's like two two syllables. That's what I can do. There you go. If it's... you do, if you do one, Matola is good at these. So I want to hear you do one
2: of uh, like a New York uh, New York accent.
1: Yeah, Italian New York.
2: Italian New York. Well, you know how it goes. You know, uh, from New York. You know, Brooklyn, Queens. <laughs> you know we uh you know we we go down to the deli you know on Sundays we get the capicola we get the salami we get the meats and then we get the meatballs and the pasta pajou you know whole thing grandma's house the sauce you know new york you know
1: Ah, grandma's house of course yeah <laughs> no I, I like that one but it's hard for me to do and i even saw those movies as a kid you know the early de niro stuff and oh yeah and things like that. So, so I'm familiar, but some accents are harder than, than others. And oh, Slavic absolutely. English is, is easier, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he, he's Petrelli, right? Was Petrelli. That's correct. Yeah. And so yeah, at this we'll point return to we'll return to him. Yeah. Uh, like. So
2: yeah, we will, yeah absolutely. Well, the lineup at this point is uh, obviously the Daves on uh, lead guitar and or guitar and vocals and bass and Al Petrelli on second guitar and at this point Jimmy DeGrasso who joined the band after Nick Menza was ousted in, in 98. Um, again, the Marty losses, I think it's, it's probably in my opinion, maybe the biggest loss in the history of the band, even more so than Ellison. Um, it's, it's obvious that, uh, uh, Friedman and, and Mustaine were the proverbial peas and carrots, peanut butter and jelly. The, in my opinion, the best material of the band for the most part, uh, came with those two guys on guitar. And, um, I mean, the, yeah, I I'm believe
1: they've uh, referred to Marty as the secret weapon. Yeah, of in, um, of Rust in Peace, obviously. I believe and that's it. very much true. Very much true.
2: Yeah, and not like not like uh, sales are you know <laughs> ever really a measure of artistic merit, but you know, from '90 to 2000, Megadeth sold 10 million albums worldwide. So I mean, it, you know, the numbers back up that if not not only artistically viable and and at a high point that the band was commercially. Um, at a high point as well. They clearly never got back to the status they had in the uh, early to um, mid to late '90s. They never got back right. to that ever again. And honestly, I don't know if creatively they could ever. I don't know. I don't know if they could ever find that magic unless Marty and Dave uh, got in the room again and did that. They 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 have each other's number. They um, yeah.
1: yeah. Whatever
2: yeah. whatever weakness one has, the other has in a strength. I think that's, that's what made true. them that's what made them so so great as a tandem.
1: If we look at this year, 2000, uh, this was actually my first um, purchased Megadeth recording or um, compilation of recordings. It was actually this one, Capital Punishment, because yeah. it came out on CD when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may have been 14 when I bought it, but it was just, you know, very much uh, coming in fresh uh, as a Megadeth yeah. fan. First song I heard was uh, Skin of My Teeth, right? I'm not sure if that's on it, but I think it probably would be since I bought it. I'm sure yeah. "Symphony of Destruction" is on there, which was the, the song I played with Bjorn, right? In the, right. His his father, the cop's house, not the docking cop. <laughs> so, so you know, playing that song and, and that, wa- uh, that wasn't
2: then, the, that wasn't the
1: Meshuggah cop, right? That wasn't the Meshuggah cop. Still searching <laughs> for him. You know, that'd be an interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Meshuggah cop would probably be more like a RoboCop because his goal would be to destroy,
2: your race and improve.
1: Destroy, erase, improve, and (laughs) keep the 4 4 on the hi hat while doing a lot of weird shit.
2: Yeah. (laughs) and (laughs) improve. And
1: uh, I did still buy best offs back then. Today, of course, they feel maybe as um, what's the word when something is out of style.
2: And I feel like they, I don't, I don't, I think, I know, I agree with what you're saying. I think when you're younger, those compilations serve a huge purpose but I think the older you get me personally I'd like to get invested in a band more than just a compilation unless it's like a band like a pop band or something like that that are like one or two songs then I'm okay yeah. with that but a band like Megadeth a compilation I think is probably the ideal way to get into it because you know it's it, it's more aggressive music and you know you can kind of get a general feel and, and which would then kind of prompt you to invest further onto the record so I think it's a great first purchase especially Because of the two newer tracks uh, that we'll be discussing today, which was as they would have you believe or they would advertise more of a return to form but um, because they kind of stumbled after risk. But uh, Jonathan, I think you said you would uh, look into some information and was just going to bring up the the disparity and reasons why the uh, Mustaine-Friedman relationship uh, crumbled and ultimately uh, dissipated
1: yeah yes indeed uh also i would say the word i, I was searching for was redundant that i feel best of albums are really redundant today especially because you could just compile a best of in your streaming service right right so mm-hmm. i think That's they're true. really out of style but uh, for me it made sense and you pretty much hit uh, the you know the nail on the head because it was still an aggressive band for me too so i guess i wanted to dip in like that i felt like oh i could buy countdown but maybe it's it's still too hard and heavy or something, you know, because you have to think it was almost before Metallica. It was kind of, you know, in parallel with that. Like uh, and, and Metallica were in parts uh, too hard for me as well at that time. I was mostly into early Sabbath uh, video game music and uh, starting getting into Maiden as well. So, uh, I mean, actually, video game music, Maiden and Sabbath are all very Megadeth compatible to me, which we will get into a little bit uh, now with, uh, with Marty even. Yeah. Because... Uh, yeah, yesterday, I, before sleeping, I thought, uh, I'll, I'll refresh my mind on this. I listened to some interviews, I just uh, typed in why why, and how Marty Friedman leaving Megadeth into my search bar and uh, found some stuff. Of course, stuff I've seen when I was younger, but uh, it's interesting to see anyway, because um, it's it was a bit of uh, this kind of musical differences happening, more so than you know interpersonal conflict and struggle uh, at least from what marty said which is what i listened to and uh, i watched even watched bits of his um, uh, guitar video you remember those like uh, vhs yeah. videos i think it's called melodic control or something
2: yeah like that. I, I, i'm not really sure but if you say that i'm, I'm gonna i'll take your word for it
3: you're probably wondering what's going on through my mind besides probably food or something like
1: that while i'm soloing like that i had a buddy in um, when i started high school two years later than this who had all those on like mpg files because uh, mm-hmm. he was he had these dreams of sh- being a shredder <laughs> and and funnily enough with a t- strong tie to marty that he was very interested in japan and japanese culture right? teaching mm-hmm. himself teaching himself the language and uh-huh. listening to some of some of those j bands too which j-pop, they tend yeah. to sh- j-pop and they tend mm-hmm. to shred in the pop which uh yeah, is they sure do. <laughs> yeah i like
2: x, x japan i always i, I like that x japan band i think they got some cool stuff
1: yeah and that's my first note is x japan actually because that's <coughs> something marty mentioned that uh, they had a um, strong sort of um contrast going on in between very heavy parts and and uh, very ballady or um Sweet, well, oh,
2: abso- I would say over over dramatic, like or, or yeah. melodramatic. Maybe not over dramatic, but well, it is over dramatic. But it's also very melodramatic. Well, that guy, their their brain, the brain behind all that is that guy Yoshiki, and he's he's like a musical genius. He's uh, he's really he's a, he's a somebody. He's a yeah. he he wanted to record the song. They had one. They had a one song album akin to like you know Crimson called Art of Life. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but. Nope. They wanted to record it at one-on-one studios in, um, in Los Angeles or wherever, wherever that is. And that's where Metallica had recorded the Black Album. And he had wanted to record it there. And he wasn't able to because Metallica had all the time booked there. So he said, huh. well, this, this will never happen again. So after Metallica was done recording, he just simply bought the studio. <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> that's a power move. That's a, 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 it's a huge right problem,
2: especially since he's a Japanese, he lives in Japan and he had that kind of capital to just say, well, this will never happen again. I'm just going to own two homes, I'm going to have a house in on the west coast of the United States and I'm going to buy this studio.
1: <laughs> that's capital punishment. <laughs>
2: yes, that's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> capital. Well, but yeah, I was also into this a little bit because my first music, I don't think I mentioned on this show, but it was uh, Mega Man Tunes, was like my first love in music. and right. I mean, yeah. Makes a lot of sense now. Uh, I'll splice in a bit of that Dr. Wiley theme, and you can all hear the heavy metal, right? Of course. That's another tune. I think that's the title from, from Two. Plenty of uh, nice galloping heavy metal in that one and uh, good melodies, which goes yeah. back to uh, to Marty because I watched that video. I'm not a fan of guitar instructional videos. When I was younger, it was just like they said stuff I didn't understand. they played things I couldn't play right. <laughs> and that was it You're like why am I watching this, this is like, the,
2: like the Ingve video where he says where he plays it and he' like, well now let's slow it down and it's like a beat per minute slower. <laughs> He doesn't slow it down, probably. Does not slow it down.
1: <laughs> not really. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think yeah. he can.
2: No, he can.
1: And the Marty one stood out to me watching it yesterday because he's basing it off these really simple chords. He starts out with uh, E major, D major, A major. And then he's showing how he wants to outline the chords in his melody and how he's always uh, aware of what's going on underneath because that's, uh, I mean, to him, that's his job. Mm-hmm. So his way of playing is, I mean, he has some rocking, rock ass pentatonic. You know, uh, broad-bent, I like to say wide-legged, <laughs> yes. wide-legged uh, riffs uh, or licks. Yes. But in his mind, he's a very—he has a bit of the Japanese uh, mindset. You know, very um, proper handling. Where he calls it melodic control. Even that video. Right. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of control in his playing. It's very clean. He's a stickler for tuning. He said, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't like when it's um, out of tune or. We say sour notes here in Sweden. And much different I
2: mean, from Kirk Hammett.
1: <laughs> very different from Kirk Hammett, yeah. <laughs> Kirk Hammett is like one of the more sour yeah. players out, out there. I mean, he's got some nice licks, but uh, oh, he, of can't pitch. he can't pitch really. Yeah. So so we, we, we're we looking at Marty now as an interesting character because he's such a mu- musical guy. Even uh, And he says himself, the important stuff, pretty much like my friend Christian, Says the same thing. The important stuff that you should work on is the vibrato when you play one note, because you want that one note to sing, right? Right. So, in short, I was impressed with this video, and I must have been one of the few that you know, were useful in any capacity. I know that my friend Ulang Lund learned a lot from uh, the Petrucci ones another Italian-American right there
2: (laughs) just a little bit yeah
1: (laughs) but Ola had enough I think he had enough just basic talent you know to get the ball rolling uh, yeah you know to a higher point than me because I just couldn't work with those videos no I
2: honestly they I never none of those ever I shouldn't say none of them um, but seldom any of those videos because once we got into the YouTube era all those things became more readily available number one when I was a kid growing up they still sold them on VHS and they were crazy expensive and it just wasn't. I didn't have the ability. I wasn't even close to having the ability to even understand what they were saying, let alone play it. Right. So, but even once we got into the YouTube era and that stuff was all available, you know, I checked that stuff out, but very seldom did it have the impact I think they intended to. The the, the information that I retained from those videos once I started seeing them, was very very minute things that were helpful and kind of like the long run. But as far as the grander scheme of what they're trying to teach, like it just doesn't even. Doesn't I wouldn't say it doesn't compute, but it just doesn't it doesn't retain my interest or my attention. You know, it just I, I Yeah. I, I dry up and I just tune out very, very easily on those because they're just usually boring. I mean I yeah, so basically, it, it doesn't compute, some, right? Yeah, I just basically fucking, if I just want to watch some dickhead play guitar by himself, I'll just stare at a mirror while I play guitar. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know. And th- but that was a big, especially big uh, market in Japan for that because I know oh, I that Devin Townsend, it. Devin Townsend did one only for Japan that was That's recently right. like unearthed and and shared, which actually was a bit interesting because he he's not a shredder. But, um, well,
2: he's no also an interesting person too. He's a he's a he's a character. He's a personality. You know, he's he's Definitely an entertaining person. So I, I would actually I haven't seen that, but I bet you I would probably enjoy that because he's he's a very very interesting person. But one Smart thing I did days. want to touch like, on before you got into the Marty true. thing about um, him bailing on Megadeth, is I think he was the reason why, and I think this probably ties into his uh, you know proclivities for. Japanese music because obviously even even the stuff like X Japan which is you know they have you know capable guitarists you know able to to shred but it's really all about the song first and I think Marty he was almost like a a shredder by accident like he's yeah. been very very vocal that he loves like Kiss and he loves the Ramones and he's like he just happened he, he's almost like a a garage rock guy that just accidentally possess the capabilities to to play hyper shred guitar and it's almost like the, the he he got so good at that style so young naturally obviously he was in the band cacophony with Jason Becker who was a prodigy yep you know,
0: ninja but,
2: yeah
1: ninja that's right Hawaii right yeah that's right
2: he was well that was even before that that was probably like 84 or something like that but that was probably early speed metal early thrash even yeah but it's almost like the older he got it's almost it's like he started to not shy away from his because he he never he never started playing like junky shitty solos like he always he always brought it when it was time to do solos but as far as like from a songwriting perspective he really he really wasn't interested in being shredder guy like i said he was into bands that had great songs like kiss and the ramones obviously not particularly great musicians but great songwriters and he was into stuff like that, and I think that that's probably what made that lineup, and that relationship so good is because he was a an uh, accidental shredder. He had the capabilities to do all that stuff, but he was really more interested in just applying that ability within the context of really great songs. You know, yeah. so that's why I think that that's, that that's a loss that they quite simply will never, ever recover from unless he ever rejoins, which I don't know if that will ever happen. Marty Friedman has, has no reason to, and Mustaine, Marty Friedman has, he's in a position where he doesn't have to take whatever kind of minuscule or whatever session member contract Mustaine w- w- would give out. Marty Friedman can kind of say his number, and if he can pick his number, and if Mustaine doesn't want to pay it, Marty Friedman, that's fine, I'll hang out in Japan and be rock god. I don't, I don't need to yeah. do
1: this, you know, And I Mr. Think, Heavy Metal, I believe. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's,
2: he's, he's a tremendous musician is, I mean, I, I don't, I'll never say it's unfortunate that he's kind of known as being like the shredder guy, but like, I think that really kind of undersells his ability as a songwriter, because if you listen to the Megadeth stuff that came after Rust in Peace, cause he was just, he came along after all those songs were written for the most part. If you listen to, you know, um, Countdown, euthanasia, cryptic writings, and even some of the stuff on Risk too. You, you could tell that that stuff is definitely much more songwriting based, a little less on the guitar explosiveness. But you know, yep. the best songs—the uh, best songs that band ever wrote was when he was in the band. And if you look at the co-writes, you can back that up. He was involved in that stuff.
0: You know.
1: Yeah, you hit two of my uh, five notes on Marty right there. Uh, one is uh, reluctant shredder. So, yeah, you, know, you, you explained that already, but yeah, of course, he's not into that kind of just... He's not into playing fast in general. He says in that video several times, don't play fast, you know, don't do that, just don't. You can <laughs> later, but, you know, don't play fast, which is interesting, you know, coming in as the Megadeth guitarist, right?
2: Right, exactly. And, and, not, and not to mention the guy who was in Cacophony with Jason Becker, too.
1: Right, but he's still yeah. saying, you know, speed is not interesting in itself at all. And I always agreed with that. I, like, I mean, I'm a metalhead, I like fast stuff but in itself no not interesting the other note was melody first yes which i think very much goes in line with being a fan of ramones or kiss that it's melody music really It's like melodies and chords underneath so uh, for all his like exotic flavors and his leads we'll listen to some uh, isolated leads uh, if not today at some point for sure there's a lot of exotic flavors in the scales and in the rhythmic uh, phrasings but for all that he's still a song guy Yes. which makes that's. I think that's what makes him so good because he, never, he still is yeah. that you know uh, he's still like na 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 he likes that stuff if
2: i ever met marty freeman i would ask him in the song i thought i knew it all on euthanasia in the chorus there's a there's <laughs> there's a lick kind of in between the in between the the vocal lines in the chorus I thought I knew it all. Or no, actually, I think it. No, it's actually coincides with the chorus, with with the lyric line. the The guitar melody is. It's like a harmonized line. It doesn't seem like something specifically mustaine ish so I always assumed that it was a Marty thing, and it's it very reminiscent of some of the licks in uh, Kung Fu Fighting, that song from the '70s, um, <laughs> and I always nice. wondered if if that was Friedman kind of, you know, exploring, um, you know, his his Japanese interests, uh, you know, early on, you know, in '94. <laughs>
1: Although Could have k- been, Kung, Kung Fu Fighting is
2: definitely not from anyone Japanese, but from the culture, Germany, right? I have I've no, I don't even know. No, I think the song Kung Fu Fighting no, is No, that's from American, American, probably, because yeah, I'm thinking American. about
1: Boney M, you know. Um, yeah. Crazy Like a Fool, yeah. Daddy, Daddy <laughs> but, Cool. That's actually a German band. Okay, no, I don't like even c- know. Complete cultural appropriation, yeah, is <laughs> German band. Yeah, probably.
2: <laughs> but yeah, if you listen to Kung Fu Fighting and some of the keyboard or, or maybe it's even a flute line. And you listen to the the harmony and the I thought I knew it all.
1: Uh,
2: mm-hmm. chorus, you might be able to hear it. I I do. I might sound like a complete fucking crazy person right now, but I think you could hear it.
1: <laughs> I'll check it out after and I will probably include it here for you listening too. So <laughs> yeah. you can you can make up your own mind on the matter.
0: Yeah. Everybody was come
1: So yeah, uh, I looked at only one thing Dave Mustaine said about this parting, and you, you mentioned before that his side of the story was probably less believable. But this one thing I read was actually came in with um, a quite sensible tone, and he said that he had felt that Marty wasn't co- wasn't really comfortable feeling at home in the band for a couple of years at the point when he left. Let's say from '97 until '99 uh, or early 00. and he said he. In hindsight he probably should have let him go earlier but that could be his ego talking you know he doesn't want to be the one dumped he you know he, well he wants yeah the real.
2: yeah i think i think metallica kind of gave him that complex for life for, life. for yeah. life yeah, yeah. He, even, he even
1: brought it up now with ellison oh, i was painful you know i know what yeah. it feels
2: like <laughs> still, yeah. today? Still, still today poor, still poor today still man i, I read <laughs> poor man. first of all you know, you know, he won't even say his name he always says that guy or i hope that person he won't even fucking say the dude's name which is like to me it's like i can't even like to me that's i don't know maybe i'm reading too into it, but it seems just so disrespectful he won't even say the dude's name he always addresses him by by some other descriptor and it's like oh my god you fucking you, you sold so many records made so much money did saw the world with this guy a thousand times mm-hmm. over and you can't even Came and let his name cross your lips. I don't know. It seems super catty and bitchy to me.
1: It does. Yeah. So uh, I think that, that maybe at least circles around uh, Marty Bailing on this band. Yeah. He then, uh, as most people know, became um, at first actually a TV celebrity. Yeah. Because he moved to Japan.
2: That's right, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: He did this uh, Mr. Heavy Metal show. Actually, it's fun in a way because he wanted to leave Heavy Metal. That was a huge part of him leaving too, that he was uh, just, you know, he said himself, he was playing Megadeth um, speed metal and stuff, but in, at night, he would only listen to J-pop, J- J- basically.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah. There's even conflicting messages from him, too, so I'm not really even sure, I think now that I think about that, who to believe as far as why it fell apart, because like you said, Mustaine thought Marty was unhappy, and he should have let him go sooner, and he's also, Mustaine has also said things that Marty wanted to be a pop band, and he wanted Megadeth to sound like Dishwalla. I don't know if you ever heard Dishwalla, but Nope. They're not good. And um, But then Mustaine also said things like, well, they, he got the manager, the guy who managed Foreigner, and the manager was really trying to get them to cross over into pop and stuff like that. So there's he's blaming Marty Friedman, but then in the same breath he'll also say, well, I worked with this guy who managed Foreigner, and I would let him co-write songs with me so we can get a broader appeal. And then you listen mm-hmm. to Marty Friedman who would say, well, I wanted Megadeth to commit to one thing or the other which to to me sounds more more maybe more believable he said i didn't want us to be a heavy metal band dabbling in pop anymore i wanted us to either be a super aggressive band and just be blistering heavy or just fully commit to being a melodic you know radio band which and I don't, hmm. and I don't that's think it's very any,
1: contradicting. Yeah. Contradicting his, his other statement about be, yeah. wanting to be like a Japan, right? And that's why yeah. that's, that's too, why I
2: brought that yeah. up because like th- these guys are all over the map. But I think that Megadeth, if you thought first of all marketing is huge with those big bands, and you're never going to market a band with the name Megadeth, which means uh, a million deaths, a million deaths by way of a nuclear explosion, you're never yeah. going to market that band into I mean what Are you gonna fucking, you're going to fucking you can find cannibal corpse in the top of the pops you know like you know yeah. it's like
1: the fucking you're not you're dreaming the cannibal corpse covering uh, Katy perry Eye of the tiger
2: yeah exactly <laughs> you're not i mean me. you're dreaming once you get to that level do you i think you achieve a certain level of obliv- obliviousness to you know your your lot in life and your station in life and you either have to embrace the megadeth or you need to change the fucking band name if your name is yeah. Megadeth, you just need to put the pedal down and just be blistering heavy. And if they had done that, maybe if they had gotten to the two songs we're going to be talking about today, maybe if they had gotten to that two years sooner, maybe Marty would have stuck around. Who knows? But yeah. I, the, both Mustaine and Friedman have contradicted each other and themselves, so who yeah. knows the I'm reason. But I, I think I'm leaning more towards the Marty side of things just because the other side of things is notoriously – fucking impossible to chart
1: and all over the place that is true and i mean (laughs) uh, my initial thought is it's artistic also artistic thinking is always like that self-contradictive yeah you know uh, i myself like to say that I, I, i enjoy contradicting myself and that you know it's up to the whoever listens to make some kind of sense of two statements going in vastly different directions. Usually you can, if you start digging into it a little bit. And of course, then there's always the daily mood. Maybe one day he had a heavy metal mood and he said, I want the band to commit. Another right. day he wanted to mix shit up, but uh, either way, he he, uh, he fucked off to Japan.
2: Yeah, and, I, and obviously it's, it's worked out pretty nicely for him. I mean, he was able to kind of, I think inevitably, When you are coming out of a situation like his, where I mean, he was in a very popular band in America, and he wanted to get away from it, and so I think he did a good job of separating himself from it and establishing his own identity. And you know, like you see from a lot of people, once they separate themselves, they can never stray too far because within five or six years, he was back playing aggressive heavier music again. You know, I just think that a lot of these guys, you know, they just Bruce Dickinson.
1: Yeah. Prime example. Prime I think, example. I think
2: more guys or more more I shouldn't say just guys, but more people, they just need a solo album. They don't need to leave a band, they just need a solo album. And then and then yep. they'll be fine. Or they need a solo outlet. Like Kirk Hammett finally has a solo EP. Yeah. You know? And, and, and been, it's nice
1: too. It's yeah,
2: from what from what I've heard it's 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 pretty cool. You know, I just think, you know, so many people get in the bubble of the band that they're in and they almost feel like that there's no way out of it except to leave it. And maybe the people who are in charge of those bands have have a, a say too. I can't imagine Mustaine really being a champion of too much diplomacy. I'm sure if Marty Friedman had asked him to do a solo album or some solo venture, I think I don't think Mustaine would have allowed it. And I, uh, even though he did have his Scenes record, which came out at the height of Countdown, but that's because Marty Friedman was. I think still con- contractually obliged to uh, Shrapnel Records to pro- provide ah. provide one more album, but once he was free and clear of that contractual obligation, I'd be surprised if Mustaine was willing to budge or, or let him have an outlet like that. Much like Mustaine was with uh, Newstead to a degree, you know. Yeah. And look, and uh, look what in both instances, both people left. You know.
1: Yep, yep. That's. Oh, uh, you mean Hatfield uh, Newstead, right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. I mean. Yeah, Hatfield Newstead. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: There uh, was one more thing now that we say this uh, with management and all that that uh, came up uh, a couple of times in interviews and that was um, a tipping point type scenario which was uh, apparently a solo in the song Breadline on uh, Risk. Really? Yeah.
2: I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever heard this. Go right ahead.
1: So you talked about management and apparently management neglected the solo in that song that Marty put in the song. It was neglected. It was like, now nah, this doesn't work for your, for your crowd or you know, the crowd they had in mind. So they uh, asked it to be replaced. Uh, Marty was not available, and Dave replaced the solo. Marty was never informed and he hears the song. his solo is replaced and apper- apparently that was like this is it. I'm out of this fucking band."
2: oh my God well you know dude, that, that I think that's that's as indicative of just the uh the the lack of just human
1: communication
2: communication when you get to that level when you deal with management and when you're at that level and you, and you like I heard like I remember even even a band like Slayer before Hanneman died I heard that anytime like they didn't have band meetings like each guy had their idea and gave it to management and management kind of disseminated all that information to the other people in the band it's like once you get management involved and you just you put that barrier between yourself and the other members like that to me is like I uh, I don't know. I think one, uh, the breakdown of a lot of relationships is a lack of communication. And if you're finding out that a solo you worked really hard on, if the, first, if the fucking first time you find out it's not on the record is when you get the final master copy of it. I mean, yeah, I can imagine yeah. being pissed off about something like that because how fucking difficult is it to just pick up the phone... You know, and say, hey, Marty, we had to redo the solo in Breadline. I just did it. I just wanted to give you a heads up. You weren't available, so I just took care of it. I mean, how fucking hard is it just pick up a phone call and make sure you tell them
1: that? You know, it's That's it's ridiculous. just the thing, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting point about management, too. Now, sadly, I don't remember his name, but the late manager of Mastodon seemed to have been one of the rare cases of a manager that was completely involved in the... In the human aspect of the band, uh, right. that band they loved him and they called him a fifth member. And uh, of course, he sadly passed away in cancer, which they also um, uh, they made several tributes to that. Uh, not right. only on not only on the new record, Hushed and Grim, also that uh, cover of "Stairway to Heaven" was dedicated to him. And uh, uh, that's rare. It's mm-hmm. very rare in heavy metal to see a band uh, celebrate management as such, you know. And then we have, of course, yeah. all the stories from the old days and '70s when they got ripped off bad. Yes, you know, bands, we mentioned before Grand Funk, for example, and Black Sabbath, uh, right? Def- oh, big time, big time. So that's it. You know, breadline was literally the breadline, I guess, for for, for, Marty's, <laughs> <laughs> for Well, Marty's I'll tell you, thing. what
2: whatever breadline he was in, he wouldn't be in any of the breadlines that you
1: or I were being. <laughs> that's true. That is true.
2: You know, he, no, no, we'd be in breadlines. He's in the baguette line. <laughs>
1: baguette line yes <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we call baguette in sweden we call them pan which is fake french that's interesting pan-rish pan-rish pan-rish
2: okay well we marty would be in the pan-rish line <laughs>
1: yeah pan-rish line yes. so i thought we'd listen to a little clip of him uh hosting uh, mr heavy metal in, in japan Yeah, Yeah, let's see if they speak, I think they will speak English because they have a guest, a recently mentioned guest, Kerry King.
2: (laughs) I
3: love this language. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Let's talk about like, first off, like your best five, what were the first five bands or songs that uh, made you want to start playing guitar?
0: Well, I gotta toot my own horn and say, fucking Slayer, you know? (laughs) What a dork. (laughs) We've been around 25 years and we got some legacy. What a fucking herb. I'll buy that. (laughs) Asshole. Oh my god. Of course.
2: Mark adding the porker. His five or six months
1: with the stain definitely rubbed off on him. Yeah. And Martin's just soloing. Yep. <laughs> Way better than any of the guys in Slayer ever oh could. Oh my god.
2: Oh, I don't know. Gary Holt's really
1: good. That's true. Yeah. That's cool that he can just whip out the Megadeth style solo. Well,
2: I was going to say, although it doesn't sound right to me that he's doing that, the fact that he could just. Find that key and just pull that out of his hat, just like that,
0: in- improv. That's that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> best to five. <laughs>
1: best five. Now Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: He doesn't play it great though. This is Carrie. Great
0: choice. Oh, that'd be one of your best oh yeah. That's a pretty cool song. That's for a sure. pretty bitchin' song for sure. Bitchin' song, that's right. Every once in a while on soundcheck, I'll rip out some Iron Maiden and my tech loves it.
3: Did you notice that Maiden played everything like
0: twice as fast as the record on that? Tour? We do that too. <laughs> you guys do that too? <laughs> yeah, it's it's adrenaline for us.
1: Good choice too.
2: Great riff. Great song. Great riff. Ooh,
1: it's <laughs> oh, he's actually doing half for on the guitar.
2: The, yeah, he's playing the lyric mm-hmm. on the oh, He's a good playing hard. Wow. Yeah, he's great. His, his big bends... When he does those yeah. big bends with vibr. I mean they're identifiable.
1: Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> that's good.
2: That dude is shit hot. That guy
3: is, that guy is a fireball. I guess of all the pre-songs, that's probably the most heavy one, wouldn't you say?
0: It's extremely heavy. I mean, they got some really cool tunes, and we picked that one out on the fourth record. It's like the only... The only cover we ever did on a real studio record. Oh, really? Yeah. That one that.
3: Oh. What song is that? Saints in Hell. That's Heroes. No, in. that's
2: yeah, it's Heroes oh, End.
3: Heroes in, That's right. That's right. Don't tell me about Priest. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Offstained off class. <laughs> <laughs> Here
1: comes Venom. Venom. Yeah very much black magic slayer here is that is that don't burn the witch i think
2: that's don't burn the witch yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> Marty Friedman playing over Venom songs just doesn't sound <laughs> yeah. right. It's like it's too good. Venom's not supposed to be too good.
0: They were pretty much like the heaviest thing out at the time. They were very heavy and, you know, they, you just look at the pictures and you're like scared to death. Yeah, You yeah. think these guys are the real deal. You know, and they're <laughs> just everybody just like you and me. You know? Right. Mustaine. Right. Yep.
1: Great riffage.
2: It's a, I believe it's an F sharp as well too, and that's the Mustaine okay, key.
0: Right? Uh, I think oh, a G, yeah. you know? I remember going to, to the clubs just to see Metallica play, and I would sit there and watch Mustaine play guitar, and I was just blown away that he'd just be ripping leads and like looking over here somewhere, He wasn't even uh, paying attention uh, 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 to what he was doing. He was that good. Yeah, yeah. You know that inspired me as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, there's Metallica. All kinds of stuff on.
1: No remorse. <laughs> yeah. Great riff, great cover by um, Cannibal Corpse too.
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: And
1: that's an F sharp. You know,
2: I you know I, I think I've seen yeah I seem to remember seeing this before. I think I've, I was wondering if Friedman kind of wanted to move this part of the conversation along. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't, think, I don't think he wanted to get too much into the Dave territory. You know? Yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. Good
1: choices so far, except for playing himself first. That was. Yeah, he wouldn't be Kerry King if he didn't.
3: No remorse. No remorse. I figured it out at the same time. <laughs> Other than metal, what kind of music do you like? Elton John. Elton
0: John. Eagles. Eagles.
2: I fucking hate the Eagles so much.
3: Can you play Hotel California by the Eagles?
2: I can't
0: believe you asked me to play such a shitty fucking tune. Don't you know?
1: I play in fucking Slayer He was being sarcastic the there. Sarcastic. Oh, he I was? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Marty also didn't pick it up. <laughs> Last riff. every day diamond every day <laughs> to see to be cannot be done cool story about this pantera song.
0: like i was friends with dime since their first record cool thing about it you know pantera was a bunch of fun guys from texas especially vince and dime you know they're they're just the epitome every time they'd come to town i'd go on stage and play with them
2: he definitely did not play that better than dime bag daryl
1: oh no <laughs> So that's that's it. But uh, yeah. nice choices, though. Even though he he did himself, you uh, know. Come on, come on, Kerry. You're sitting there in your super fast sunglasses, playing your own riff. At <laughs> first, <laughs> that's one of the most inspirational things. <laughs>
2: what? Yeah, he was around Mustaine long enough to have that rub off on him. I guarantee you, if you fucking if Mustaine was on that show, he would have probably played Jump in the Fire himself. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm not sure if you've seen the american series called um eastbound and down have you seen oh,
2: I, sh- I sure have yeah, yeah.
1: the main character kenny powers reminds yeah. me a lot of carrie king that sort of giant man baby
2: yeah yeah <laughs> giant man baby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very important yeah yeah
1: <laughs> yeah oh, man.
2: yeah that was that was that was that was a popular show here for sure it's hilarious <laughs> Yeah, a great show
1: very yeah. very fun
0: yeah i'm sick and tired of carrying all the weight uh the coaches and owners not giving me the shit i need to win can't believe Atlanta, you me. you're fucking out kenny powers is now a free agent by the bar and get shit faced huh Get me paid, bitch superstar i can't believe you asked me to play such a shitty fucking tune don't you know i play in fucking slayer well that's good for you did you get the christmas cards we got you this year yeah i mean i get a shit ton of fan mail so that's a lot of mail to go through but yeah i
2: mean I, I yeah i think i did Y'all get that, uh, the tandem bed I sent y'all last year?
0: Yeah, the one you sent three years ago. Three years, wow.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Well, it is a tandem bed, you know.
1: I guess that could be like, that's our landing in, in Marty's uh, career in, in Japan for now, anyway. Yes, because that's obviously, correct. Obviously he went on ahead from just being Mr. Heavy Metal on TV mm-hmm. and uh, joined bands and, and this and that, and this and that. And very successfully, and also to echo what you said, when there was talk about uh, Rust in Peace reunion Thing it almost happened, right?
2: Well, they got close enough to start talking about it publicly, but you know, I just think that I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever really know why it fell apart. But I, I think that I honestly do hope that someday Friedman ends up back in the band. Even if I'm not really big on, I don't know. I don't know if you can ever go back. You know, right? Maybe, but if, but if there's true chemistry there. If true chemistry exists, then you can always go back because you can always, you know, the the elements that make up, you know, water will always exist. So you can always make water. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, like, um, so if if there's true chemistry between Mustaine and Friedman, well, if they ever get back in the room under the guise of Megadeth and they start coming up with stuff, then they'll be able to create that stuff again. Um, right. Again, it's, I think it's just, it's just a matter of a, a want more than it is a need, and I don't think Friedman really particularly wants or needs to be in Megadeth. I think it's it's really got to come down to him wanting to be in it, and because you know it's not an easy gig. I mean, he he did ten years with Mustaine, and that's yeah. Can't believe that's can't believe that to be easy. But I, I really hope someday those two can make a record again, just to see. If it really is something that they could just kind of pull back, go back to, yeah. and, and pull that magic out again. I mean, so it, 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 it might not. It, it, might, it, might be, it might be terrible, but I would just like to see if, if, if that's still there with
1: them, you know? Marty's comment echoes uh, two things you've said. One was uh, that he did have a career and that he measured it to be almost bigger than what Megadeth uh, was about to get into in the millennia era. So there will almost be a step down, right, for him. Uh, speaking about different breadlines here. Right, yes. <laughs> and then also, what you said just now, he said uh, flat out that if you made an album as good and as much of a classic as Rust in Peace, do you really want to go back and uh, tarnish the legacy with a reunion that may or may not sound as good? You know? Right, yeah. it's, a, it's a fair I, I point. Th-
2: there's a certain amount of, uh, I mean, there is a certain amount of uh, discipline it takes to not, to, to not, go back to that apple and take another bite. I mean, if yeah. he, if if Marty Friedman's approach or opinion or mindset is that of like you said, we've we've done it at the at the, the highest level that it could be done. Mm-hmm. And to even a, to even attempt to try and go back to that is only it's it's risking failure. Yeah more so than it is attempting a greater success all you could do is tarnish your past you can't shine up those records any more than they already are all you could do is no pun intended go back and make sure they rust you know and yeah
1: and then on the other side of the coin we have dave mustaine who is of course always ready to go back in time and eat all those apples again. You yes, that's <laughs> the true. remasters, he, the remixes, yeah, oh. and now even the fucking story about Vic Rattlehead is not even sacred anymore.
2: You know what? I don't. Even, that's you know, getting redone. That, I, I what don't, the hell? I don't like that. I don't like that. He just takes an eraser to things, and you know he he he, he thinks he's erasing pencil, but he's just it, it's ink. You know, I mean, like he's just that's he's ink. trying to erase ink and pretending that it's it's pencil and and thinking no one else sees the ink that's still there and everyone knows that his life has been a matter of public record for almost, you know, 40 years, over 40 over, yeah, about 40 years. And so it's like once you're that much in the the public eye, nothing you could say or do is undocumented so
1: you know don't for a swede for a swede Swede, it wouldn't be ink it would be runes rune etchings like etchings in stone (laughs) etchings in stone and then you try and cover those up with uh, i don't know charcoal or something (laughs) it doesn't work it's etched in that stone that's why it's still around you know because it's well done too you know you had the rune master himself etch it and now you're covering it up with the charcoal yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know. More of our more of our amateur uh, Mustaine uh, psychology analysis. Yep,
1: ongoing concept.
2: <laughs> That's right. Welcome to our sanguinary Sucker Worship.
1: Oh, wow. We covered the part of Marty Bailing from this band probably indefinitely, probably forever. And yeah. uh, also, just like Adrian Smith, Adrian Smith did Maiden in the 80s. It's completely mm-hmm. flat out through the entire 90s. And here we have Marty Friedman. Being the Adrian of Megadeth for the nineties period, I would say
2: that's a great count. That's a great point. Yeah, I like that.
1: And leaving for musical differences too, and being a talent, a stickler for pitch, you know, all of that. Stickler for melody.
2: Uh, stickler for tempo. If you believe the the DVD when he's <laughs> he's so pissed that Made <laughs> right. in England was too fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is too fast. Some sign of a seven, Some sign of a yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we are, we're heading for some music, I think, at this point, right?
2: That's right. Let's, uh, let's kill that king.
1: Kill that king. So this is actually then, what happened with the band after Marty left?
2: Uh, well, they got into the studio, and I think they immediately started working on what would eventually become the next record, uh, The World Needs a Hero. And I believe It, it around this, th- th- there's not a lot of details, or if they are, they're kind of overlapping. But I believe, just based on what I was able to... Uh, fine online. I don't know if the um Megadeth started to work on the next record and then I'm not sure if they had started to work on the record and then during that Capital pitched the idea of a compilation cuz so I think that they had one record left on their deal with them. Hmm. And I don't know if they were in the middle of renegotiating or whatever, but it ended up they ended up, you know, starting work on the record and they decided that you know, this compilation record was going to be the final deal or the final record on the deal and i guess they had already maybe turned in some pre-production demos to the label uh kill the king i believe was written specifically for this compilation however i think once capital had heard the the demos or whatever the pre-production for world needs a hero they requested dread and the fugitive mind to be added to it as well so i think ah. kill the king was probably specifically for the compilation and Dread and the fugitive mind they wanted added to um as well and i think after that they disagreed to part ways and the contract was uh was up and then they were um on to uh sanctuary records owned by merc Mercuriatus, i think that's his name and obviously rod smallwood
1: Right, yeah, Sanctuary Management, yeah, that's okay, yeah, yeah. that's right, that's probably why. also why um, they played with uh, Maiden, uh, they toured with them. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. But they actually did it already in 99, so uh, that may, be, mm-hmm. may have been before that. Anyway, po- probably part of the same uh, prolonged conversation in between right. sanctuary, sanctuary Management and Dave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're going to uh, go ahead and kill the king, right? That's right, not to, not to be confused with the classic rainbow cut of the same name, which is, of, of course...
2: Or murdering Kerry King. Or murdering Kerry King.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for tooting his own horn That's too right. much. No,
0: for, <laughs> well, I gotta toot my own horn and say fucking Slayer, you know? <laughs> We've been around 25 years and we got some legacy for going. For being
1: fucking Kenny Powers.
0: That's right, exactly. A
1: giant man maybe with, with a strong baseball throwing arm.
2: Yeah, this is a good spot for a Kenny Power sample for
0: sure. I play in fucking Slayer. Well, it's good for you. <laughs> well, there's something you need to know about, Kenny. Uh, you're not the only athlete here at Jeff Davis. I happen to be training for a triathlon right now, so, doing a lot of running and uh, cycling, swimming.
2: Well, you know all about that. <laughs> no, actually, I don't. I play real sports, not trying to be the best at exercising. <laughs>
0: well i gotta toot my own horn and say fucking slayer you know
1: well that's good for you okay kill the king let's go for some yeah. of that good old shugging zeros
2: oh let's, let's crunch it up
1: some of that scrape you talked about last um.
2: oh yeah i love i love that you can hear the the scrape you can hear the picking
1: fairly basic rhythm. Complicated is not my sugar cup Right. Broken
2: down, feeling naked. Don't want to think about David Mustaine being
3: naked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I was a kid, I bought this record. Uh, again, I was very into uh, these Japanese video game soundtrack, uh, like completely written with melody, Mel- melodies all over the mm-hmm. place, and I've. I was disappointed. Why is there no guitar melody? He's just singing on top of a single note. Right. But today I, I translate that vocal melody into what I wanted as a clear-out guitar melody. Yeah. And I think it's it's more clever. It's better. But uh, it's more impressive now, you know, because now I can. I think it was easier for me as a kid to discern melodies played on instruments rather than sung sung melodies. But here, yeah. here, here he goes for the sung approach, which is not easy on top of a droning E. Uh, doing that down now, down. down, down, down. I, uh, it's very good. I actually, I
2: actually realized I might be off a little bit on the release date of this record or Capital Punishment because it could be One I saw them. It might be 01 because I saw them in either July or August two thousand on that ill-fated Max. I mean, terribly named Maximum Rock Tour or it was them and Motley Crue. Oof. And it was, it was so poorly attended that Anthrax was initially on on the bill, but they got kicked off because they couldn't afford to keep them on anymore because the attendance was so down. But I remember when they played, they played, they debuted "Kill the King" on this tour, huh. and the record and, and the song hadn't come out yet. But I remember coming off of Risk, um, you know, kind of wondering, you know, what they were going to do next. And I think they introduced the song as, as a new song on the next record, and they played "Kill the King," and I remember like. Being like, holy shit, okay, this is like a fucking really good song. This is way better than anything on the last record. So I I still feel, I still get that same feeling from this song. Um, I still think it's a very good song.
1: Nice thumping.
2: Yes, very, very, very anthemic. Like, it sounds great in like a. I mean, a lot of metal, especially if it's up tempo, doesn't really transfer over to bigger venues. But this is a song that really, really would fucking just boom in like an arena or a stadium or something like that. Strong melodies,
1: too, which strengthens your idea that maybe they should have put this out with Marty in the band. Because this is melody first. Yeah. This is melody first in many ways, you know?
2: Absolutely. Okay. It absolutely is.
1: Okay, let's kick it off. Pre chorus. Mm-hmm. Love this pre chorus. Yeah. Nice chords. And then you know we hit back to the the verse stick.
3: Yeah.
1: Lovely riff here.
2: Lovely riff. I think it's a great chorus too. Kind of got that chromatic thing you always talk about.
1: Yeah, and also. Uh, I'm going to come back to Mega Man again. You know, Megadeth, Mega Man, because this (laughs) could be like, uh, I don't know which stage in in Mega Man 2, probably like Metal Man, I think has something like that going.
3: Uh, It has a tech
1: Feeling, but not like technical death metal, you know, uh, the birth or anything like that. Uh, more like, you right. know, just uh, a melodically complex line, I would say. And I love that stuff. Always have, always. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Very nice Absolutely. riff. And then, of course, you get the singing on top of it with uh, some choirs uh-huh. and very accomplished chorus. You know. Uh, I'd like to mention the lyrics here. Uh, what was that? A receiver at the highest seat in the land. Something like yeah, that, right?
2: I- idle hands, the devil's workshop, generate more smoke than heat.
1: Very nice way to describe a sort of uh, corrupt uh, ruler, I would say.
2: Yeah, I think Mustaine still had, I mean, um, I don't really want to, get too deep into the wormhole yet to overanalyze lyrics, but I still think at this point Mustaine still had a little bit of that bite left in his lyrics, still had a little bit of that uh, flick of the tongue and curl of the lip to really turn a a cool phrase. It's a little bit more punk,
1: more punk too, right, you know, because you're uh, addressing some kind of criticism uh, upwards to to the highest rule, so more of the anarchy in the UK (laughs) still in there.
2: A little bit of that, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. What you mean Very effective too Hearts Good tag team In between you know Even if all My balls are broken I will drag
3: myself Back from the edge To kill the king The king is dead Long live the king, king. Kill the king The king is dead Long live the king I am the king
1: I save the king Yep The I mean, already said it. What a good chorus, super complex. Yeah, and even the
2: main riff, which is, I mean, you would think like you could look at that main riff and be like, well, that's just that's just a, a knucklehead riff, you know, that's just like anyone come up with that. But to me, even to this day, like uh you hear a riff, a like, you hear something like that, and it's like, well, that's so simple, but it's like it's so effective. Like, yeah. it, you hear a riff like that, and it's like, well, what? Fuck, that's so simple, but it just. You got to be really, really good to play something that, for lack of a better term, not good. Not that I'm saying it's not good, but it's not technically adept at all. Like you could play that riff at after playing guitar for you know five months, four months, three months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's a riff that you could play at any any stage of development with the instrument. But I think that that stuff ultimately hits harder. And is more powerful because it has that universal tone to it, and it's again, it just, it's just heavy, and it's got the the scrape, and you can hear the the harshness of the picking, and obviously you you match it up, you mirror it with the double bass drums. I mean, it's just like it's just powerful. It just sounds great. It's a great song.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I brought. Why I brought up being a bit of a smart ass as a kid. Ah, it's just zeros. It's just E, because I didn't I didn't understand how how you build a song yet. You know, how you actually, mm-hmm. a basic thing like that is great if you can use it as a bed, for example, for these cool melodies that he's doing on top of it. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's clever songwriting, basically, that's what I'm saying.
2: I agree. Mm-hmm.
1: 100%. And here comes that distorted vocal radio feed or walkie-talkie. Radio, radio feed or walkie-talkie. Yep. Yes. Breakdown. sinister
3: yeah it's tough
1: who is leading um, I think the trade-offs between uh, Mustaine and Al Petrelli Al Petrelli Al Petrelli hey <laughs> <Petrelli. laughs> good. good breakdown uh, great drumming simple yeah honestly if I had any critique
2: I could say, maybe say this part maybe went a little too long it is a bit long
1: but still it, the song It could be a little shorter is, The song uh, is so effective otherwise still though
2: right that's true they went right back into the chorus and basically the songs over exactly it's very
1: effective yeah the king. yeah great song well written great song
2: and my one critique is 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 minor at best it doesn't really detract me from from enjoying it anymore i think if anything it's probably just being nitpicky from just being old enough to have had to write my own songs and, and analyze and pre-produce stuff and you know actually I,
1: I, I agree with that too I'll, I'll it's all you know what it is
2: it's all fucking high hein- it's hindsight wheat <laughs> snack
1: yeah or hindsight is always 2020 yeah, it's yeah. right <laughs> but uh, but yeah i actually agree with that point and that will uh, that would make it easier for me to say it's more of a four out of five than a perfect five for me but uh, yeah. it's a great great track uh, my problem with that I agree. with that bridge or breakdown is that it doesn't lead anywhere so it's literally a pause right right mm-hmm. and then it could then it actually could have been shorter mm-hmm. they could have made the song you know eurovision length 300 instead of 342 but uh, yeah what a good song it's written in a way that to me seems like he's out to prove things again but now in a way different manner than back in in the mid 80s
2: i think it's almost a shame that that song i don't want to say wasted but these new songs that are Recorded or slapped onto compilations, all they are is a sales pitch, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: And that it's a reason to get hardcore fans to to buy it because they're. I guarantee you, if you're a hardcore fan, you already have the albums that every other song is is on there is is on. You know. Yeah. And so it's like, why why would you buy that? Well, okay, we got to slap two songs on it. And it's a shame too because also these records, these compilations. They don't get the push, especially if they know it's the last record of a deal, mm. and and so you know, the radio A and R doesn't get behind it. Nothing really gets behind it. They just put it out there, and they rely on word of mouth and the most basic amount of advertisement to get it. Out. I think I never, I don't remember ever seeing a whole lot of advertising behind this record, and I still think it sold two hundred thousand copies, just probably just based off the you know hardcore fans because there was new songs, but if Kill the King had been the first track on a world needs a hero, I think it would have been way better. I think it probably would have gotten way more attention. It probably would have maybe actually behooved that record. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would have sold more if it had been on that record. Cause honestly, if, I think if Kill the King had been on a world needs a hero, it would have easily been the best song on that record. And that's not to say I don't enjoy some songs on that record, but Kill the King was such a great song. I think it would have been the best song on the next record. It, it, it should have been on the next record. And I, back to the the one gripe I had about maybe overstaying that one part too long we're going to run into that in my opinion again on uh, the next track dread in the future mm-hmm. of mine i think that at this point maybe they were still trying to get back to just being a, a regular metal band and you know there's maybe always some like some regrowing pains you know which is right. weird to me considering they they kind of helped you know at least for american bands they really helped kind of create that blueprint it's weird to, to be able to have to go back and sound like you're struggling a little bit. But um, we'll get into that shortly.
1: Two things there. Uh, one is uh, it strengthens your theory about Kill the King, that Dread and the Furity Mind, the song we're going to get into, is played live today, this year. Mm-hmm. But Kill the King is not. So it might have been because Dread was included on the album that it stayed in the set.
2: Yeah. Right? I, I think that's exactly why. Because it's, it, it got Kill the King. I, I don't know how. Because it's so good, it's almost gotten lost in the uh, the sands of time. Yep. You know, it's almost it's almost become like this throw not throwaway, but it's almost become this throwaway track that was on a compilation record from from a record label that they were about to depart from. And I don't capital punishment probably isn't even in print anymore.
1: Probably not, right? You know? It could even be one probably of those not. one of those albums that is worth more, but it's not the one you yeah. really want. <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah. Live at Darlington uh, LP with Maiden, the vinyl. Yeah. That's one of their exactly. most valuable because it's just yeah. not available readily, you know.
2: Yeah, and I think if if Kill the King had been on the next record, yeah, I think I don't see. To me, of the two songs that we're reviewing today, it's stronger the two. And again, that's not a knock on Dread in the Fugitive Mind, but I just think Kill the King was just such a man that was. And even if they had stayed on Capitol, and that had been like, man, can you imagine coming off of Risk? That's that's why Kill the King hit me so hard. Mm when I first heard it because you know coming off of Risk and the disappointment of that and then the next song you hear from that is Kill the King it's like oh my god it was like fucking warm and fuzzy feelings of that shit like and if that had been on a record put out by Capital it would have got the full treatment it would have got the full budget of publicists and marketing and would have got all that shit it'd probably be like a, a modern day classic you yeah. know but essentially Megadeth they, they went kind of went to i mean it's hard to consider anything run by rod smallwood an indie label but sanctuary was kind of an indie label I mean, means a brand new label
0: hmm. yeah basically uh, a
2: startup label and i think world needs a hero was probably one of their first releases as far as i know
1: right and uh, my other my other reflection here was about going back to metal because uh it's parallel to what happened with uh, bruce dickinson too in a way
2: exactly uh, he
1: was just a year, uh, he was only a year or two ahead maybe of dave here that he, because he went full on back to have a metal with um, Accidental Birth, which was 97, I believe. I think 97? Uh, 97
2: or 98, but I think think probably 97.
1: But the the difference with Bruce is that he, it didn't seem very tough for him. It seemed like a very easy move for him to do uh, in terms of, you know, just in uh, in terms of uh, nailing it and in terms of being it, you know.
2: Well, here's the thing with that though. Um, The thing with Bruce was that he didn't really have to write the music. I mean, I'm sure he wrote some of the music, but right. he, he had Roy Z. And then, and he also, on accident of birth, he had Adrian too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He didn't really have to worry about coming up with convincible music or convincing metal music because he didn't really have to write it. He just had it to be Bruce he just had to be Bruce Dickinson on top of the metal music. just had to be bruce dickinson on top of the metal music which yeah. is like yeah. that's probably as is easy for him at that point as it is breathing for you and i today
1: uh, yeah you oh. know what, so, what is I that mean, uh, rambo for when under pressure killing is as easy as breathing <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah <laughs> yes that's probably a better example we
2: are you know what you are Today we are heavy metal Rambo's, and that we are we are breathing. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. But yeah. And, 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 and killing the king,
2: killing the king. Killing's <laughs> as easy as breathing.
1: Uh, when I was a kid, this title confused me a bit. Dread and the fugitive mind. Uh, how would you read that? I mean, it doesn't confuse me as much today, but still, if you if you told me when I was uh, fifteen or fourteen, how would you explain it to me?
2: Uh. To me, I mean, I don't want to – I mean, it, it seems almost too simple or easy to assume this. But I would think that he just based this song off of either the book or the TV show or the movie The Fugitive. To me, I, it, I always read it as a fugitive and the consistent dread and fear that they're in when they're on the run.
1: So yeah, as a kid, I thought it was like two characters or something. Dread and the fugitive mind. <laughs> I'd put it like uh, two guys or maybe this kind of uh, angel and devil or something. But it's not that, you know. It's just uh, I wasn't that familiar with the word dread at the time. Uh, yeah. Which, of course, is just like fear, but a different lur- lurking variation of it, I guess you could say.
2: Also the uh, also the, uh, the is an Edge of Sanity. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Drette. Drette. Yeah, d-
2: Oh, that's that's how it's pronounced, Drette?
1: Now it's pronounced Dread. That's an uh, anglicized version of Drette, which is oh, okay. also <laughs> an abbreviation of Andreas. Andreas. Okay. Drette, dread.
2: Oh, okay. There, there, it, is, there yeah, it is. That's some
1: deep knowledge of uh, Swedish knowledge there it is. metal. Absolutely.
2: Hey, I got I got to take a piss for a sec. I'll be
0: right back. <laughs>
2: all right back at it
1: also speaking of edge of sanity i'm glad that we, i mean i cut out more than two hours of us talking last time and i still included the crimson bit in a megadeth podcast anyway Pulling the plug on, on the tangent. Why don't you pull the plug? And, and, and we're heading <laughs> heading into Dread, Dread and the Fugitive Mind. Uh, it's yeah, it's going it. to be interesting. I think it's another interesting track. It a is. had longer than the last one, but still uh, yeah. a short-ish metal song. Uh, here we go.
2: Let me introduce myself. I'm a social disease
1: for your wealth. classic Megadeth forces
2: yes almost sweating bullets ish exactly a little bit yeah.
1: probably they knew that too
2: probably um,
1: I would say that for me when I heard that as a kid I thought okay sweating bullets again uh, yeah. but I think the good thing is that at least they just go straight into it. We're 24 seconds into the song only at this point. Yeah. So it works yeah. in s- as such. I don't think it's, it's as good as Hello Me, <laughs> that part. No, it's not. But honestly, uh, the, the next part after
2: the verse, the D ding- like. is like. I guess we call them the, uh, the Orion chords. You know, yeah. like I, that. I feel like at this point, those those kind of chords, they weren't really prevalent a lot in Megadeth songs. This is a, this is almost kind of more of like, a, I guess we'll say this is Megadeth being a metal band part two, but like in their initial run, it was a lot of very kind of, not on melodic Well, a lot of the riffing wasn't traditionally melodic, save for like countdown and stuff like that. But it was like, like those kind of Orion ish chords. I I struggle to think of really a lot of Megadeth songs or any Megadeth songs that have those kind of chords in them prior to this song.
1: Yeah, it's, it's almost a bit Adrian Smith or uh, or Swano, uh, Climber, you know, with the stretched power chords going on. Uh, for me it's right up my alley, yeah. love that riff. Yeah. And then the chorus, ah, what
2: a good riff. It's very good. I'm singing. He's he's in his range right here. He's in. Yeah. He's not trying to push it. He's right in the meat of his range.
3: Right,
1: and very maxed out. You know? you get everything. You get the cool guitar. You get the nice vocals. Yes. So yeah, very good chorus, and it's another riff that uh, I picked up. Uh, not that easy to play it has the
3: mm.
1: uh, well, roughly anyway
3: yeah
2: traditional melody but it's but it's a great melody
1: super um, fluent background melody or riff or whatever you would call it and uh, yeah that particular cadence they have reused. Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's in songs on Dystopia, I'm sure. Uh, I don't remember the title right now, and also in Trust before this.
2: Also, kind of uh, this was my life on uh, Off a of Countdown as well, too. It it, it appears in a kind of a lead form there in that song.
1: And mm. good chorus. Uh, what if I do get caught? You know, it's uh, definitely the fugitive mind, I guess.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is probably just about either the movie or the TV show. The fugitive, I would
1: imagine. But he's not shouting the title.
2: <laughs> no, that's such a, no, no, he's not an Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah. Oh I mean if Steve if Steve Harris was writing the lyrics, the song would just the chorus would be like The Fugitive
1: Yeah, like the, the song he did. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, let's head on.
2: I forgot. I already, I already fuck I forgot about that. Wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, you knew anyway.
0: <laughs> you built walls to protect you,
2: so no one will infect you. you by those out there.
1: Vanished <laughs> <to> <laughs> the <theater. laughs> Come a long way to find. Left behind. It has a nice forward tempo, though. I like that. Yeah! Is, but it's coming fast!
2: Ooh, what's mine? What's mine mine. This to me is where they lose a little bit of steam, because I feel like they ride this next part out just a
1: little too long. This rhythm also is a bit too simple, I would say. Right. I can hear that and four three four and four three four and you know (laughs) (laughs) this melody i loved as a kid i loved always loved these easy to understand melodies at that age you know (音楽) and then you get the rolling Uh uh-huh Still, I get the same feeling still, actually, from this. More so the melody than the rhythm.
2: Yeah, but I still think it could be a little bit shorter. There's a little bit of fat to cut. This is
0: Albatrelli. Please emulate Tornado of Soul.
2: Trilli, his track record speaks for itself. I mean, he's he's a perpetual hired gun. And in that world of session musicians, you really just have to be on your shit and be able to do everything that they ask you to do, and you need to do it timely, and you need, obviously, to come in under budget. You know, you really need to... So, I mean, when he replaced Marty Friedman, my initial instinct wasn't, that, wasn't one of, I guess, maybe not disappointment, because, obviously, he was... He has metal credibility, but as a lead guitarist, you could say that stylistically it was maybe a step back because he doesn't have that panache. Because as a session musician, he doesn't he doesn't yeah, he doesn't have Saz. Yeah, they, they don't pay him to have Zaz, They pay him to fit the song. They don't pay him to be him. They pay him to be him under what pretenses whoever's paying him wants him to be, whether it's Alice Cooper or Dee Snider.
1: You know, pay him to emulate the hero that the world needs.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I will say, talent-wise, no. I mean, Al is great, more than capable, but it's just stylistically, it's definitely a step back. Because I mean, you listen to the solos in this song, and then Kill the King, yeah. I mean, the stuff on World Needs a Hero, he he's he's a great guitar player. Can't I can't play that shit? You know, he's fucking way better than me. You know, you know, but like again. I think that's indicative of just a, a general problem that Megadeth was was, was about to have. And yeah. again, I'll, I'll, I'll address that. I'm, I'll make a note to come back to that once the song's over.
1: My two cents on this one is uh, pretty much as I remembered from, from listening back then. is that um, first the rhythm, du-ga-du-ga-du, it mm-hmm. doesn't interest me. Then the simplistic lead melody it does work for me still, definitely did work then. And then when they amp it up with uh, the, the roll type rhythm, as I call it do 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 I think it's nice. Right. Clever. Uh, mm-hmm. The solo I get really into, but it's too long because he can't fill the whole space. And that's what Marty would have been absolutely perfectly able yeah. to do. He would have used that space to make the song uh, double as good, yeah. Because he had space enough to, you know, to let his mind get go loose on it. Whereas this is more uh, someone doing a, a service, right? Like you said, and it it yeah. kind of lasted for half of the solo, but for the second half, it was more of the same, you know.
2: I think I think that they could have they could have cut the part before the solo in half and the solo section in half, yeah. and I think it would have made a. Made it a
1: better song. Yeah, I agree with that. Simple as that, I guess. Yeah. Wow, oh, some empty space.
2: Yeah, that's the end. song's over, yeah. A lot of time without without lyrics, if you think about it.
1: The outro could have been half too. Half the outro, yeah. half the solo, half the breakdown. It would have been a better song, yeah. and it would have been uh, at a nice short length.
2: And I don't dislike Dread and the Fugitive Mind, but I just don't see how that gets the nod over Kill the King in the set. I just think Kill the King is, is a better song. And I would guess
1: Dread is easier. I think it's easier to play. I don't, I don't know.
2: I mean... I think I'm I'm gonna say that, dread, maybe gets the nod because it gives the lead guitarist more time to show his shit off, and in the live mm. environment, that's kind of maybe more conducive to engaging the audience. You know, just trying to fucking you know blow their balls off with leads or whatever, you know. But I I don't know. Dread to me, I me mean, it's always been the weaker of the two tracks. You said it was what 425. Yeah, is the runtime for dread. Uh, I think they could have chopped. 30 to 45 seconds out of that, and it would have been a better song.
1: I went ahead and posed and chopped off 1 minute and 10 seconds from the outro part. And I still think I could shop off some more, actually. Even in the vocal parts of the song, there's quite a lot of repeats. I honestly think this song would benefit a great deal from being trimmed down to around 3 minutes flat. we all still get it right
2: i'm real big on well depending on what kind of music it is i'm real big on trimming the fat yeah you know i really like like if, if it's a song if you're not if you're not going to be over if you're not going to be north of five or six minutes you know which in that case you're on a journey with yeah. the song you're trying to present to people but if you're going to write under you know south of five minutes
1: might as well go for three
2: you might, yeah. You might as well. You might as well go for three. There you go. I don't need to say anything else. Well said.
1: It's it's interesting because it syncs with me. I was a big Opeth guy, and so I like to make huge songs when I was younger. Right. And then lately, only like last three or four years, I've began really enjoying trimming my shit down and trying to make them sub three minutes. Even. Uh, I've been enjoying the process, and I've been enjoying the result. Listening to it, and it's like way way more effective to me. Anyway when i listen back to yeah. it and i i attributed this to a friend of the show john Motola, because he always complains when the songs are too long in indie purple podcast oh yeah and also chris mm-hmm. l uh, another friend yeah. of the show uh, because he also always complains yeah like, that's way too long so those two guys you know um, Strong influence, I guess. And also, uh, uh, just uh, in general, like, why do I want to, with all the all the buzz out there, you know, trying to get through that, why would I want to force someone to listen to a shit as long song uh, if I can make it right. shorter and more effective? So I'm totally with you there, and I've been enjoying it, too. Like, I've been, really been enjoying uh, trimming songs, basically, you know. Can I take away a repeat here? And sometimes I have to retract it, you know, that I listen, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is actually rushing through the song.
2: right. Well, I like not I mean it's kind of relative I guess, but uh tonight uh, my band is we're, we're doing a, a Rose Tattoo cover called Magnum Made and it's it's so to the point. And nothing they do in that song wastes any time or or overstays its welcome. It just it gets in, it gets out, and it gets done, you know. And like I think that to the older i get the more i recognize that innate ability of a band to know the place of the song i think that there's almost more talent in restraint than there is in exploration musically speaking i think i'm not going to say it's easy to write like a song like crimson but i think it's harder to to self edit that I think it's it's harder to write I think it's easy or I think it's easy to write a five minute song um or maybe easier for me to write a five minute song but I think it's maybe harder to write you know a two or three minute song that maybe cuts the fat out and just gets right to the point you know
1: yeah, I mean, if you don't look at Crimson, which is somehow like, I don't know if it's a lucky mistake or wh- whatever it is, because it works so well, but if you look at early Opeth, for example, mm-hmm. same era, a lot of the long stuff is also lazy in composition, you know, let's ring out on the E, head into a clean right. black part. Uh, that's, you know, almost, uh, I don't know how to say, but when I was uh, like aspiring writer, I did that a lot too, and you would feel accomplished just because it was long. But does it it really sit together? No, it doesn't. Well, that's
2: the thing. I think when you're younger, you equate, you know, like a length of song as being an accomplishment, you know, because obviously, you know, the stuff that came before us, the stuff that people always, even the classic rock stuff that like our parents and elder, you know, people in our lives worship, you know, they had their stairway to heavens, they had their free birds, you know, they had songs that were long were looked at with with that extra esteem because of you know how epic it was and the presentation yep. was epic but if you look at songs like stairway to heaven and freebird if you think about it they're like not that long to begin
1: with they're 7 minutes they're, they're, they're really
2: in theory they're really not that long but they're just they're they do, compared to how long music has gotten especially you know when you mentioned bands like Opeth and I remember when they first toured America, you know, their first tour they were only playing like five songs in their set yeah. because of how <laughs> of fucking course. long they were. Yeah. You know, but like you look at songs like that, I mean Stairway to Heaven, Freebird, they're they're short songs, just played longer, you know? <laughs>
1: Good one today. Uh, nice to, I guess, catch you on the killing road then. And, yeah. And of course, uh, as they say, break a leg or whatever. I, I, t- <laughs> t- I, t- I tend not to want to bring in too much hype in- before a gig.
2: You can just say, play good, and that'll be a good play for good, Yeah, play good. and I, I mean,
1: just actually... Uh, say it in Swedish, though. Say it in Swedish. I would just say, spiela. That's it. All right. One word. I would just say, play. Cool. Not even implying that you have to do it good. I think uh, it comes back to that, you know, muscle memory thing. Just yeah. play. Yeah. I think that's the best attitude. And when people ask me before a gig, "Oh, so are you psyched?" I'm often inclined to say, "No, I'm not psyched. You know, I will be, <laughs> I will be, but I'm not." You know, it's I don't, I don't like, like this kind of tension to be psyched before.
2: Yeah, yeah, you probably can't even count the amount of gigs you've played. I know I can't, and it's almost like—I mean, even just remove the shows you've played, the shows you've seen, given work you do, it's probably too yeah, many or sounds doing sound yeah, is, exactly. is my
1: biggest number. Yeah,
2: exactly. So it's like. You know, you see people like they they go to concerts and it's like this big fucking deal. And like, I remember being like that as a kid, but that was like, you know, 23,000 gigs ago. You know, it's almost like when someone says, are you psyched? I, I feel like this is the, the one instance again, because it's been so long where I could say yes, but more often than not, like if someone would say that to me, like, like if someone had said that to me 15 years ago when I was like during like my heaviest touring period of my life, to me, it was like. Again, it's back to breathing. It's like well, I would say like are you are you excited to breathe when you're pushed?
3: Challenge is as easy as breathing.
1: Yeah, and for me it's a nerve issue too actually. I have to admit there, especially if I haven't played in a long time that if I get psyched too early, it's more of a nervous burnout. No,
2: I agree. Thing. You can you know, to get too excited can almost put too much pressure on yourself and psych yourself out of being good, you know?
1: Yeah, I want to keep that for for the moment I head on. Yeah. Uh, Pull the first chord, then, of course, I want to be as psyched as possible. And, uh, I mean, rest assured, I will be. I, I love playing live. Yeah. It's one of the most fun things you can do, and it's completely... Impossible to replace it with anything other. Exactly,
2: dude. Even just in a rehearsal setting, which I hadn't done in two and a half years, when I fucking plugged in oh, my,
1: be so fun. When I
2: plugged in my, you know, set my shit up and just cranked it up and just slammed down like an E chord, just ripping through the the Marshall and just the crunch. It's just like it's a feeling like no other, and I can't wait to, you oh. know, I can't wait to have that feeling on stage tonight. It's gonna be great.
3: That's sure. a
1: song. Kill, the pod. Kill the pod. the pod. is dead. dead. <laughs> Long live <laughs> the
0: pod. <laughs> Cheers.